If you have a Bible, uh, and I hope you do, and you might have one on that cell phone that I just asked you to pack, uh, pick, uh, bring out, that's okay too. Uh, that's a good thing. If you have a Bible, we'd love to. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you a Bible uh, because today we are going to be rocking and rolling through some major scripture. Uh, if you can, if you've got a Bible, you want to turn to Psalm chapter 106. Psalm 106 is right in the middle of your Bible. Now, I'm going to go through a ton of scripture. But I want you to stay right there in Psalm 106, and you can read a lot of the other scripture I've got on the screen behind me, okay? And then you can also look on it uh, your, on your uh, cell phone app. We have the, the Bible app or the Uversion app that you can read all of the scripture that I'm going to go through today. I don't have a cute story. I don't have a fun way to intro this sermon because today is kind of heavy. So I need you to kind of buckle up, get ready. Uh, it's going to be a kind of heavier day today where I want you to really engage and turn your brain on for some of the things that God has for us. Okay, so Psalm 106, verse 1, says this. Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. I want you to have that in your brain. Praise the Lord, because his steadfast love endures forever. Okay, let's pray together. God, in this moment, uh, we are about to embark on a um, deeper, uh, a little bit dark uh, sermon today. And so, God, I pray for your grace. Um, I pray for those who might feel deeply today uh, some deep emotions. Um, God, I pray that you, your grace would be upon them, that they would recognize that your word gives life and that your word gives grace and that we would be moved to action because of what the affections of our heart will, will be attached to in your spirit. And so I pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Okay, I need, I need some of your help a little bit today. All right, I need a little bit of your help. We're going to walk through uh, the creation story in roughly about 30 seconds. So on the first day, God created the heavens and the earth. He created light and darkness. And at once he created all of those things, he said that it was Good. On the second day, he created a separation from the sky and then the waters of the earth. And when he did that, and after he did that, the second day was done, and he said that it was good. Very good. Okay. On the third day, God created land and separated the water from the land, and he created vegetation on that day. And after he had completed doing those things, he said that it was good. Very good. On the fourth day, God created the sun and the moon, and he said that it was Good. All right. And on the fifth day, God created the creatures of the sea and the birds of the air. And then he said that it was good. And on the sixth day, God created the animals that walk the earth. And he said that they were good. And then he created man. And he said that man was? Ah. He said that man was very good. There's a change there in the narrative. You have all of these things, God creating the heavens and the earth, separating the waters, creating animals and plants and vegetation and birds and creatures and all these, the sun and the moon. And he says, all of that is good. Then he creates man and he says that it is very good. There's a difference there. There's a distinction that God makes about human beings, about humankind. And what he says about them, Genesis 1, 26 through 27, says this. Then God said, let us make man in our own image, after our likeness. This is the Trinity speaking, the Trinity of God. 
Father, Son, Holy Spirit, our image. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping and thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. So right there we see this major distinction between human beings, man, and the rest of creation. And what we call that is there's a Latin phrase for it called the imago Dei. The imago Dei, the image of God. God. You might wonder, what does that mean? That's the soul. When we talk about the soul, we have body and soul. So we have this image of God that we, are been, we have been created by the Imago Dei and given to us a soul. Human beings are not merely physical beings. We have more than just flesh and bone. There is more to us that God imputed or gave to us a soul when we are created. This this creates us as spiritual beings that we can enjoy. We have joy and faith, happiness. We can undergo guilt and shame and regret. We are given by God a moral conscience, okay? By God creating us. How is this given to us? It's imputed to us down from our Father. We see this in Genesis 5. Verse 3, it says, When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his likeness or image, after his image, and he named him Seth, and so on, and so on, and so on. It gives to us, we have this imputed uh, spirit or image of God that is given and passed down to us. Now the question is, is when does this image, when is it given to us? Is it given to us after we are born, at the moment of our birth, Is it given to us at some kind of age of responsibility? When is it given to us? The Bible doesn't leave a mystery there either. In Psalm 58.3 it says, The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth speaking lies. Now, that might seem a little bit harsh. That might seem a little bit strange when we're talking about babies in the womb. It says that babies in the womb are wicked. But I don't want you to I want you to think too deeply about that. What I want you to think about that is that God says that babies in the womb have a moral conscience, that they have been given this soul, this image of God. We've been endowed by God in this way. It says this, it's saying kind of the same thing in Psalm 51.5. It says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. So when does this happen? When does this moral conscience of this image of God happen? It happens at conception. At conception, when the egg meets the sperm, and you have a baby. You have a human life. See, there we are significantly different. A baby is significantly different than any other creation of God. We are creatures that have a soul, and so we are held to a different standard than the animal kingdom. We have emotions and we feel guilt. We are different than the killer whale, right? The killer whale does not think to himself when he kills a seal and he goes back home that night and says, what did I do? Right? He doesn't think that way. He doesn't think he needs some help for killing something. We are different. We are set aside. And that life is Beautiful. In the, in the video we just showed, it, it quoted Psalm 139, 13, and 14. It said this, For you are formed 
You have formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully, wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. And so what we can conclude from all this evidence that we are separated from the animal kingdom or any other creation of God, that we are given the image of God. And not only, so we're giving this moral conscience, and that moral conscience is given to us at conception. We are moral, soulful creatures in, in the womb, in our mother's womb. And what we need to conclude from this is that the image of God is within us. And the image of God, because it is so precious, is sacred. The image of God is within us, and the image of God is sacred. And at this point, we crash with our culture. Because we believe something about human life that our culture does not. You see, our culture does two things significant that crashes into our Christian thinking about human life. The first thing it does is it disrespects human life or the image of God, namely Racism disrespects it. The second thing it does is that it disregards human life in our culture. This is namely done in, by abortion. So we have the disrespect, racism, the disregard, abortion. And two very deep issues in our culture. And most of the time, we believe that these two issues are political issues. If you listen to any of the 24-hour news cycle at all, you will run into racism, abortion, one of these life issues at some point within an hour. But let me submit to you this, that this is much bigger than a political issue. That racism is not just a man issue and a woman issue. That abortion is not just a man issue and a child issue. Both of these things are are God issues at the very beginning. And they're just played out most commonly in the political arena. But do not mistake these two things as just solely and simply political ideas. They are God issues that we have to deal with theologically, biblically, and spiritually. And we have to begin thinking of them and not just say, you know what, that's, that's politics. I don't really deal with politics, so I'm not going to think about that. And we have to be really careful that we don't disregard those things. Now, um, so we're going to spend two weeks on those two things, the disrespect and disregard of the image of God. And so next week, uh, Pastor David is going to walk through the disrespect. He's going to talk about racial uh, reconciliation, how we as Christians are to think about racism and what we're supposed to do about it. And then today it is my job uh, to talk about this issue of the disregard for human life and namely abortion. Um, And before I go any further, just the fact that I have mentioned this idea of abortion, uh, the killing of unborn babies, there are people in this room that are immediately uncomfortable. Um, So I want to speak to you for a second. Statistically, we know that um, one-third of American women between the ages of 18 and 50 have have undergone an abortion. So I can say with confidence today that in a room of this many people this large, there is probably a woman out there, or maybe even multiple women, 
that have undergone an abortion. Or that, or, and or there are men in this room who have paid for, been a part of, or sat with a woman while she was undergoing an abortion procedure. And so I want to share with you a scripture. Before I go on and say anything else, I want to share with you some news. I want to talk to you specifically. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10, so pay attention to the screen. I really want you to see this. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10, it says this. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greeter, nor drunkards, nor, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Verse 11. So what we have here is we have Paul, one of God's apostles, writing to us saying that these are people, This well, I'm going to list out a grouping of people that are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Now, let me, that's Bible speak for going to hell. That's what that means. Not inheriting the kingdom of God is going to hell. And he lists out all of these things. Swindlers or, or revilers, homosexuals, thieves, greed, uh, greedy people, drunkards, all of these things not going to inherit the kingdom of God However, it is very interesting that Paul himself, the guy writing this, and who wrote over like a third of the New Testament, was a murderer. This guy killed people in cold blood. And he was called out by God, saved by Jesus through grace. He repented of his sin, and he is writing the good news of the gospel. This man who murdered people. Not babies in utero, no, not like that. Murdered real, live, walking human beings. And he murdered them in cold blood because he didn't like their religion. And he is writing that this group of people is going to go to hell. And that we, me and you, are some of those people. But then he says this, and I want you to pay attention, so don't lose me. In verse 11, he says this, and I love... If you, you turn, if you look at some of the uh, butts in the Bible, B-U-T, butts, it says this in verse 11, such were some of you, but you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Here's what it says about all of those people. All of, he lists out some of the worst sins that you could possibly do in the, in the history of the world. And then he says, but God decided that he was going to wash you, sanctify you, justify you. It's the beauty of the gospel on display. That regardless of our sin, he has decided to wash us pure and justify us in front of God. And here's what that means. Here's, here's, here's what that means. There is not a single sin, because he lists out the worst ones in this passage. There is not a single sin, according to Paul and the Bible, that is too great for Jesus to forgive. There is not one sin that the cross of Christ has not conquered. And there is no sin, past, present, or future, that has more power than the cross of Christ, even abortion. So I want you to hear me. 
If you are a woman in this room and, and just me talking about this makes you feel very uncomfortable, or you're a man in this room and you participated in some kind of way in this, I want you to hear me. I do not condemn you, and neither does the Bible. And so what we want to give to you is grace. To say to you that regardless of what you have done in your past, what the Bible is calling you to is repentance, being washed and justified and sanctified by the word of God. And so don't lose me today. Don't don't walk away in distress because the pastor was talking about one of your sins in your past that you probably don't talk about to anybody. And so don't lose me. Walk with me in hope because it's going to be good. Okay. So let's talk about this idea of abortion. Abortion is the killing of unborn children at any stage after they are conceived. It is the most deadly holocaust in all of history. And that is not to degrade uh, the Nazi holocaust that killed 11 million people, uh, 6 million of them Jews. But since uh, Roe versus Wade in January 1973, it's, why we, it's an anniversary, it's why we talk about it uh, in January. Um, according to the uh, Center for Disease Control, a uh, government... Um, government body, 57 million babies have been aborted in America. That is over 1 million per year. To put that in context, one mil- oh, I'm sorry, 3,000 babies in America will be, aborted, will be aborted today. And a baby is aborted in America every 30 seconds. This pales in comparison to the rest of the world. This is from uh, the Guttmacher Institute, Research Institute. It is estimated that 130 million babies per year are aborted around the world. That is four babies every second. Um, This obviously grieves the heart of God. You imagine the creator, the one who creates all of this life, and we sinfully abort it, disregard it, take it away. And the question is, is in my mind, is how did we get here? How do we get to a place where we have so much death all around us? Did we wake up one morning and just decide, you know what, today I'm going to kill babies? How does that happen? How do you get to the place where, where you decide, you know what, today I'm going to take life? And unfortunately, this is actually not the first time a culture has gone down this road where it begins to kill its own children. And that's why we're looking at Psalm 106. So if you look, your, look up your Bible, I'm going to skip through this psalm really quick. I'm actually not going to read the whole thing, uh, but I'm going to give you some of the history. So what's happening in the context is the psalmist is actually recalling some of Israel's history. And it starts uh, in verse 7. <clears throat> the, it, it begins to give us ten sins of the Israelite people. And what you will see through these 10 sins is a progression from very, very simple, maybe white lies, so to speak, something kind of something that maybe you and I would do maybe every single day. And it progresses through 10 different sins until it gets to the point where it is outrageous. Verse 7, it says this, uh, well, they did not consider the works of the Lord. That was a very simple sin. The Israelites just decided, we're just not going to remember anymore about what God has done. 
Verse 7, verse 13, they did not listen to the counsel of God. In verse 16, they did not follow godly leadership like Moses. In verse 19, they made idols and worshiped a created thing instead of the creator. In verse 19, I'm sorry, verse 24, they despise, they begin to despise the gift of God, which is the promised land. In verse 28, they committed themselves to another God altogether. So at first they made idols, and then they decided later to just commit themselves wholeheartedly as a nation to Baal, a false god. They began to commit blasphemy for speaking rashly against God. Verse verse 34, they did not destroy. God had commanded them to destroy things that, that he was giving to them. You need to completely destroy the things that I'm giving into your hands. And they decided not to do that. Instead, they decided to mix into the rest of the culture in verse 35. And then we come to the 10th sin, which is absolutely terrifying if you think about it. And I'm going to read verse 37 through 39. It says this, and this is harsh. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. They poured out innocent blood, the blood of their own sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted with blood. Thus they became unclean by their acts, and they played the whore in their deeds. This is very strong language. In which the psalmist says, that they began to slaughter their own children, to sacrifice them to the gods of Canaan, and then that way they became a whore to those nations. It's very deep, very dark. And so what we see in verse 7 is just the first sin was very simple, something that maybe you and I would do on a regular basis. They simply forgot what God had done for them. God had done majestic and wonderful things, bringing them out of the promised land, dividing the Red Sea, saving them from the Egyptians. He, he gave them bread from the, from the rocks. He gave them quail every morning. He, gave, he provided for them every single day miraculously, and the people of Israel began to forget about what God had done for them. And then they said, you know what, I don't Whatever you're doing, God, we don't really want to do that. You know, we're not going to follow your leaders. In fact, uh, we're going to set up a different God that we're going to serve. And slowly they slid down a very dark path to the point where they began to kill their own children. It sounds very familiar, does it not? 50 years ago, 100 years ago, the people would have never said that, that, that Americans were going to slaughter their children by the millions. Nobody would have believed that. But could it be true that we have slid into this very dark place? And you get into a place where you begin to say, I want to do what I want to do. That's what the Israelites said. I am in charge of my own body. No one could tell me what to do with my own body. I am in control of my own future. I have a plan for my future, and a baby is not going to mess that up, and so I'm going to... Disregard it. And what we have is a clash of cultures between a Christian culture that says this is not good, this is the image of God, the image of God is within every single human being, and it is sacred, with a secular culture that says disregard it. If you don't want it, get rid of it. And we crash into one another on a regular basis. And before we know it, unfortunately, the battle between the Christian church and our culture 
we get weary as a church. We get weary of the battle, and we begin to take on some of the culture. And we begin to accept some of the lies. And we begin to make exceptions to basic Christian principles. And we begin to accept the fact that you can kill a baby on the basis of freedom, on the basis of choice. To which this grieves God significantly. So what does God think about it? Verse 40 through 41, follow me here. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people, and he abhorred, meaning he hated his heritage, he hated his people. Then he gave them into the hand of the nations, so that those who hated them ruled over them. Their enemies oppressed them, and they were brought into subjection under their power. Many times he delivered them, but they were rebellious in their purposes and were brought low through the iniquity. Well, the Israelites were going into the promised land, the land of freedom. This was going to be a place where they can live freely. Sound kind of familiar, American experiment? And then they began to do all these things, getting to the point where they slaughtered their own babies, and they began to be oppressed. The land of freedom became a land of depression, war, slaughter. Sounds very familiar to me. And so we have to be careful about what God thinks about letting us go to our oppressors because God does burn with anger towards the killing of his own creation. And they began to be prisoners in their own homeland. But what we're about to read, which is so fantastic, and I want you to circle it in your Bible, highlight it, whatever you want. Sometimes the Bible is so clear in the gospel and we see it so evidently. And sometimes it happens in just one word. And that one word is the next word in the passage verse. In in verse 44, it says this, Nevertheless, circle that word, whatever you need to do in your Bible. Nevertheless, all of these sins, all of these terrible things, all the way to we're slaughtering our own babies, and God hates that. Verse 44, nevertheless, regardless, anyway, however, but God, He looked upon their distress when he heard their cry. For their sake, he remembered his covenant. And he relented according to the abundance of his steadfast, give me that word, love. Did they deserve it? No. Did they earn it? No. Was it just given to them freely? Yes. Even though they had done all atrocious things, he still loved them with steadfast love. He still gave to them their inheritance. He still watched over them. He still heard their cry. He remembered his covenant. And he caused them to be pitied by all those who held them captive. So even those who were oppressing them at the time, he caused those people to have grace upon the Israelites. Isn't that great? That regardless of where we are in our lives, regardless of how much sin we have incurred in our life, God still loves us regardless of what we have done. It's the gospel that Jesus Christ took on our sin and replaced our sin with his righteousness. And then God looks at us as a son, as a daughter, and loves us anyway. So the question is, what do we do now? 
I actually don't. This is a Sanctity of Life Sunday. That's what it's called. It's kind of, there's preachers all over the country right now preaching about uh, this particular issue. So if you, you know, get on Facebook or whatever this afternoon, you'll probably hear people talk about this idea of Sanctity of Life Sunday. I actually hate the holiday. I, I don't like it. I don't like the idea of having a particular day in which we all stand up and say we really like babies. You know, the reason why is because I hope that we don't have to have this anymore. I hope that we never have to celebrate something that should already be. I, uh, I, I, I didn't know my grandfather very long. He died when I was 12, I think, and we didn't really have a really deep relationship. He, uh, <clears throat> he's, my, he's my papa, my uh, father's dad. Um, good man. He grew up in, in, in South Georgia. Uh, and so he, w- he was born in... Uh, he was born in 1914 or something like that. And uh, so he was in the deep south, grew up in the deep south in Georgia at the time of all of probably the civil rights uh, occurrences. He grew up with all of the different Jim Crow laws, and uh, he would have seen racial oppression. He would have seen all of that happen. Um, I didn't know him well. I mean, I think that he, he was a good man. He worked hard. He was, he, he was a World War II vet. I mean, he's a, he's a good man. Um, and so I don't hold anything against him, although that I don't know, I cannot say that I know anything about him standing up against that. I cannot say with any confidence at all that he stood against racism. I don't know what he thought about it, but I know that he didn't do anything about it. My hope is that when my grandchildren are on a walk with me, I don't know, 30, 40 years from now, my hope is, is that abortion is completely illegal. And that my grandchildren will look at me and say, you remember when you guys used to kill babies? How did you do that? How did you live in a society where that was acceptable? Did, what did you do about that? I never want to have that conversation. I want, to live in a, I want to live in a world where, where babies are not aborted. But I also want to live in a world where I can tell my grandchildren that I did something about it. Where we can stand up and say, no more. We're not going to do this any longer. And so what I want to, for the rest of our time, I want to outline five things that our church, that you can get involved with and think through as a church to get engaged in this issue. Because remember, it is not a political issue. It is a God issue. And if it's a God issue, that means it's everybody's issue. Okay? So number one, think about this. Number one, we have to repent of indifference. This is a mental perspective change. Okay? We have to be able to repent of indifference. We have to be able to reject the idea that there is nothing that we can do about it. We need to call it killing children, not choice, not women's health. Those are all masquerading around for murdering babies. We have to be able to to do something about it in our own mind and and reject those ideas altogether because it is a God issue and stand against a culture that is constantly pushing an agenda for this, constantly disregarding life. And even when it is unpopular in your workplace, in your social groups, however you might be able to do it, you need to stand for what God believes about the image of himself. Number two, it's kind of the first tangible thing that you can do. We can pray. 
Verse 40 says that God hears our cry. He hears it. You know the reason why he had steadfast love and he pitied and he loved the people is because they cried out to him in their distress and he heard them. So we have to cry out to God. We have to pray. Here's some things that you can pray for. We pray for the seared conscience of our country. We have become numb to this idea. We have to pray for godly leaders, both politically and otherwise, that will stand up against these issues. We have to pray for the defunding, de-staffing, de-whatever of Planned Parenthood, which leads most of the cause for abortion. We have to pray that people would simply wake up and, and see what is going on. Our country aborts more than a million babies a year, yet 38 states, get the third, this boggled my mind this week, 38 states have fetal homicide laws that will send you to prison. So in the state where you can legally abort a baby, so a mother decides that she wants to abort her baby. She gets in the car to head toward the abortion clinic. Some schmo on his cell phone's reading a text and T-bones her and kills the baby. He goes to jail for fetal homicide. How is that not insane? How is that even possible? How do we live in a society like that? We have to pray for people to wake up and say, that's not right. That's not right. Do I think that the man should go to prison for fetal homicide? Yeah. But I also think that she shouldn't be able to abort that baby. Number three. Reject the lies of our culture. Reject the lies of our culture. Uh, recently, uh, in November, I, had, I was given the opportunity to go uh, to Europe on a tour. And um, one of the places that we visited uh, was Auschwitz. Uh, so the, the death camp, Nazi death camp. And uh, they, they roll you through uh, the whole camp. And there's places where they have pictures and images of uh, some of the things that happen in the camp. And uh, I couldn't help but think about holocausts and abortion and those kind of things. But one of the things that most struck me uh, was they, they had a series of images, very grainy black and white photos, very out of focus and blurred. But uh, what they were is they, they were images taken by a prisoner who just happened to sneak a camera into the camp, and they found the images after it, it was liberated. Uh, and, and she took photos of what was happening of women. She took photos of women getting off this train, uh, and they were pouring out of this train, more people than you could ever imagine coming out of a train car. And they were led into a field where they were disrobing, and they were told to take off their clothes. So there's images of that. Uh, and they're, they're all disrobing, taking off every, all the clothes that they have. And then there's images of them running, literally running, into a gas chamber. And then there's images of them carrying their bodies out. And so you'd be curious as to why, why would you run into a gas chamber? Why would you run to your death? And the reason is because they thought that they were taking a shower. They were told to get into the train because they were told that the place that they were going was going to be safer for them than where they were. So they, they spent days in a car with no heat, with no bathroom. And so as soon as you get out of this train car, you're probably filthy, soiled, whatever, 
and you're getting out of this train car and they say, hey, we're going to go let you take a shower. You're going to go over there, go into this field, go take off all your clothes before you do that and, you know, get in the shower. Of course they want to do that. It's 30 degrees outside. They're making you take your clothes off outside and then go run into a gas chamber where you think that you're going to go take a shower. They did it willingly. They didn't have to force them to do it. They did it willingly because they lied to them. And so we have to reject a culture of lies. We cannot believe things like the child isn't a human life yet. One day after conception, the zygote contains 100% of the DNA that it needs to be a human life. At 18 days, most of the time women don't even realize that they're pregnant, but 18 days, the heart is already beating. At six weeks, brain waves begin. At 14 weeks, the baby has fingerprints, and every single state in our country still allows you to, to abort the baby. And at nine weeks, the baby can feel pain. This is the most recent, uh, most recent discovery that the baby can feel pain at nine weeks, so it feels every painful feeling of being dismembered and vacuumed out of the womb. Um, we cannot believe lies like it's the woman's choice to do with what she wants with her own body. This is the most asinine argument of all time. Every crime ever committed by any human ever was done with a human body. Ever. To say that you can do whatever you want with your own body is ridiculous and insane. The child will be better off if it's aborted. The child will be better... Ask the baby. Who thinks that? Who thinks that the child is better off? Is there anybody in this room that believes that their life would be better off if they were aborted? Come on. The child would be better off? Think about that for a second. We have to reject the lies of our culture. Number four, we have to vote accordingly. We have to vote accordingly. I'm not telling you how to vote. I'm not telling you for a specific candidate. That's not my job. But it should inform how we vote. Abortion is not the same thing as tax structure. It's not the same thing. So we have to think about who we put into office, especially high office. And we should put godly, pro-life candidates in high political positions as much as we possibly can. Does this make us one-issue voters? Yes, and I'm okay with that. It does make us one-issue voters. Say you have some guy, and he's a great politician, smart as a whip, very wise, politically, he's got ideas out, and nobody can compare to him politically, smart, got character, everything, and he gets up in front of everybody, makes a speech, and he says, you know what, that Hitler, he's got some good ideas. Everybody becomes a one-issue voter. So I'm okay with that. We have to think about voting accordingly, according to our conscience. Number five, and lastly, we have to engage. We have to engage with our hands and with our feet. We have to engage. Just saying with your mouth that abortion is murder is not really doing anything. You're just simply stating a fact. So we have to get involved. Here's some, just a few quick things that you can think about getting involved with. Adoption services. Uh, we believe at the Church of King Bay that we want to be highly involved in adoption. 
Uh, and so we have a group, uh, we have a missional community that serves with uh, uh, the foster care, the DSS system that you can join. That's the Tyler missional community if you're interested in serving. And we have uh, uh, Ryan and Anna Shumpert who have started a new MC this semester uh, that you can join with them. That They're going to be encouraging, loving on, helping in any way they can with families that are going through the adoption process. So that's a really good tangible way for you to get involved in some kind of way with a missional community. You can give money towards organizations on the front line of fighting abortion politically, like Focus on the Family. Great organization that you might want to fund and say, fight a battle politically for me. You might want to volunteer. There's a Low Country Crisis Pregnancy Center. It's off of Ashley Phosphate Road. You might have some time on your hands and you want to serve in that way, become a coach, become a mentor. How can you help with women who are in crisis, not only during the pregnancy, you know, but after the pregnancy, taking care of them and taking care of their baby? However you can help, that would be a valuable resource. So engage. And although that psalm that we just read is pretty dark, it actually ends in the same way that it begins. And it ends with some celebration. It says this in verse 47. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name, the glory in your praise. Here it is. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, and let all the people say, Amen, praise the Lord. So even after all of the terror of sin, even after everything, even after the slaughter of children, the psalmist comes back and says, save us. You have the power to save us. You are a sovereign God who can save us. That the individual who lives a terrible life like you and like me can walk up to God and say, save me. And he will. And he will. And so we can say with our lips, regardless of our history, we can say, blessed is the name of the Lord. Let all the people say amen. And praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So regardless of your past sin, God has never stopped loving you and never wants to stop covering over your sin. He does not condemn you, neither do I. He wants to save you. He wants to you who wants you to join in that chorus of praise. Here's why. It's because you are the image of God. The image of God is within you, and the image of God is sacred within you. And he does not want you to he does not want to lose you to your sins. He desires to redeem you. So just a, a moment for women in this room who this conjured up a lot of deep wounds. And you might not have ever told anybody. Um, you might not have maybe even told just some people in your life, but you need to talk to somebody about this particularly. You need somebody to pray with you, to love you, encourage you, specifically just help you talk to God. And so at the end, we're all going to stand up. We're going to sing one more song together. And, and here you have two options. Number one, um, you can just scoot out of your seat uh, me and my wife, I believe David and Allison will be in the back. Uh, so we'll have some godly women back there to, to pray with you. You pray with one of our pastors. And we, we'd love to pray with you and talk with you about how we can encourage you and what God and his word wants to tell you. So we'll be right there in the back. I know that that might even be a big step for you. Um, so here's what we've done. We've set up this email address. Um, I think it's going to be on the screen. Um, it's care at churchofcanebay.org. Care at churchofcanebay.org. And so if you're like, hey, I'm not going to step out. I don't want to see, I don't want anybody to see me step out. 
Uh, and so uh, you can email us, care at churchofcanebay.org. It'll come directly to my inbox, uh, and I will help you. Uh, and I really want to pray with you and help you in any way that I can. Um, and that goes for anybody in this room, regardless of your past or history. You might have some really ugly things in your history that you want to pray about. We would love to do that uh, with you. Um, so I hope that you would think through that as a church, that we would hope to come around these ideas of engagement, of praying together, of having some tangible results, of rejecting some of these ideas of our culture. I know that today has been deep, a little bit dark, but I pray that you will find hope in what God has given to you. So here's what I want to do. I want to end in prayer but I want to give you a moment to pray through some of these things, okay? All right, I'm going to lead you in that. So let's pray together. With every, um, with, with every uh, head bowed and eye closed, uh, um, I want to just give us a chance to pray together. So if you would... I pray just right now for um, anyone in this room who needs to step out, who needs counsel, encouragement. Um, just pray that right now. Pray for courage of maybe women in this room who need um, to step out of darkness into light. Pray that our country would wake up from insanity. pray that somehow this modern day silent holocaust would come to an abrupt end. That once again, we would value and stand in amazement at the image of God. God, I pray that for our church, that we would engage, that this issue is, is more than just a statement about our culture. It's more than just something that we would say on Facebook or a picture of a baby that we would post or something like that, but that we would, that we would spend time praying, that we would have a mental shift in who we are, that in our conversations, this would be something that would roll off our lips, that we value human life at every stage. I pray that we would vote accordingly. I pray that we would engage at some level. If there's hearts in this room that this message has drawn, I pray that, that maybe that the Low Country Crisis Pregnancy Center would have calls tomorrow saying, hey, how can I help? How can I volunteer? How can I coach? I pray that they would receive those emails, those phone calls this week from people in this church sitting in this room. of our soul, that we would be very um, sensitive to what you would have us do and say, and that we would never accept this insanity as reality. Thank you for women in this room. I do pray that they would not feel condemned, but they would feel a great sense of hope that there is a hand stretched out to them willing to give them grace. So God, I ask that they would respond 
reach out their hand in response and say, I want some help. I need somebody to pray with. God, thank you for being our great God. Thank you that nevertheless, even when we were in our sin, that you loved us with incredible love for your son, Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me? If you want to come and pray, we'll be right there in the back. We'd love to receive you. Amen. Thankful for the good news and the hope of the gospel of Jesus. Ephesians 2 tells us that even when we were dead in our trespasses, Christ came and died for us. It's by grace that we've been saved. And that's what we want to celebrate today as we finish out our time together is that we have hope and that we have life because of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And so we're going to sing together. I am set free to celebrate that.